The Protect Your Neck Podcast. UFC Sao Paulo Breakdown. Picks, plays, and whatever else comes our way. Let's get it. Hot air hangs like a dead man From a white oak tree People sitting on porches Thinking how things used to be Dark night It's a dark night up you savages this is the protect your neck podcast and i am your host dan tom today tonight whenever you're listening to this we'll be breaking down ufc sao paulo ufc fight night 119 is what we are on uh, on this show today i'm actually gonna try to keep it short i know i see, you say that every time dan quiet i'm actually gonna try to keep it uh you know a little more shorter and sweet I'm not gonna try to you know um uh what's the word uh what's the word uh shoot my wad or what, what's all the inappropriate MMA commentary terms that all sound sexual insert it there yeah gonna try not to blow my load uh, so to speak on the prelims leaving me nothing for the main card although cleanup hitting of course the main flag uh, the flagship the mainstay uh, my breakdowns which you can find on MMAJunkie.com um but yeah, man, it's been a fun week. It's been a, been a crazy week. We've had a stacked week uh, of guests these past two weeks, actually, on uh, MMA Junkie Radio. Um, thank you all for, uh, you know, uh, just everybody's, you know, kind words, support. Uh, everyone was already tuning into that show, obviously. But, you know, just the feedback from, uh, you know, I've been getting from people since I've been, I've been on the show. I've been really appreciative. Uh, just little messages, nice tidbits. Um, it, it means the fuck, it mean, means fucking the world to me and, uh, and, and yeah, completely grateful to be working with friends, man, but having fun down there, make sure you're following. If you're not though, if you are one of the select few, you're not listening, it's, it's free on, uh, free on iTunes, subscribe or Sirius Rush XM 93 is where the show's at. But, uh, but it's, 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 it's been good, man. Got, got to see some, uh, some people I haven't seen actually in a minute, um, which was nice. Uh, just, just real quick, just a couple notes off the top before we jump off into the prelims. There really isn't too much to touch on. I, I just want to get back into the breakdown. But uh, shout out to them. I betting sharks. Um, I am so bad at social media, friends. Even having a social life. Uh, another story for another day. Just, just with this damn UFC schedule. If any of y'all follow my Twitter, you see that that that, that tweet. I actually, you know what? Hold that thought because that'll lead to another tangent. But I want to give a shout out to the MMA betting sharks. Uh, one of the few Facebook chats. Uh, you know that I'm a part of and, and and try to do my best to to post and contribute to. Um, really good group of dudes over there, run by Mitch Williams, of course, Head Shark, and, and then I just wanted to give a special shout out to uh, Sean Ihaz. I don't know if it's Ihaz, uh, like like you know, or the, like Ihaz its actual name, and I'm just butchering it, being an asshole, and I'm trying to give you a shout out. Either way, uh, thank you, Sean, uh, Mitch. Always thank you, you know, for doing your thing, brother, and, and holding it down. Uh, for all the degenerates, which um, I'm one of. Hey, so thank you guys over there. Um, also, shout out, and I, and I said MA Junkie Radio, but MA Junkie Radio Combat Chat, my man Jordan Fiegelman. Uh, I know I, I gave him a shout out last week, but he deserves a shout out this week too. And also, Jason Ford, always keeping Dan Tom, who doesn't get much sleep, awake by uh, when it comes to fan contributions for music. We're coming back in from the bump. He's always suggesting Slayer or something 80s thrash that gets me going so 
Thank you, Jason Ford. Also, we had Galley from Toronto come in uh, visiting. So it was nice to see Galley. Um, listen to the Protect Your Neck podcast. Um, and my last notes are Halloween. I don't know why I wrote that. And movies. But yeah, that, I guess I'll bring up movies because uh, that tied into one thing. You know, Dan Tom loves movies. But it's funny. I, I don't get to watch movies anymore. And I joke... And, like, I think one of the more, more recent jokes was, like, I wanted to go see Star Wars, like, six months after it was out of theaters. And my, my girlfriend was, 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 was laughing at me. She's like, you realize it's been out of theaters for six months. This was, um, what was it, Rogue One or whatever that, whatever, whatever it was. Well, it's happened again. Um, kind of just alluded to it, you know, talking about the 11, you know, God, it was, what was the last stretch of UFC? It was, like, nine, nine fight cards in 11 weeks. Like, that almost killed me. I don't know how I'm going to be doing with uh, the 11 for 11 because uh, when the 9 out of 11 almost killed me, like I was, I, I was, uh, uh, I guess, how do you say, one job less. I don't think I was, I don't think I was officially with uh, Junkie Radio yet. Um, so your boy here, uh, yeah, I forget. I, I tallied up my hours, but you know, people will loosely throw like 70, 80 hour work weeks. Yeah. Your boy is running those, so I posted on Twitter. I'm like, by the end, by January, after this 11-week stretch, I'm going to be looking like the scientist from Independence Day 4. And uh, so I'm looking for a picture to attach um, to the tweet. And, I, of course, it's really easy to find. He comes right up. But I'm seeing all these other like pictures, like newer ones. The guy looks older. It looks like a really bad remake. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? And it clicks, and I'm like, holy shit. They make an Independence Day 2? They made an Independence Day 2? And, of course... When I'm coming to this revelation, my, my girlfriend has, happens to be in the same room. She's looking at me like a crazy person, as she normally does now. Um, she was like, yeah, that thing that came out like a year ago. And yeah, Dan Tom, just, it feels like, I, I, yeah, further proving my point, because if you watch the original Independence Day, the scientist, he's all scruffly, and he looks really like all disheveled and crazy, and, and Will Smith, well, they have an exchange that's very off-putting, and Will Smith's, you know, looking at him very off-putting like, and the, the scientist goes... They don't let us out much. <laughs> so my exchange that I had in looking for that picture, because having that thought, hence improved that point. Anyways, I'm ranting. Uh, probably sleep deprivation as is probably coming through the microphone. But hey, usually it takes at least 10 minutes to get in the fights. But we are six and a half to seven minutes in. Well, maybe like seven and some change when I edit in the intro. And we are jumping into UFC Sao Paulo as usual. We're going to go from bottom to top, again, referencing the article for, you know, the Cliff Notes, the, the, the you know, to, to, to go along. If you're playing along at home, MMAJunkie.com, it's up at the time I'm recording this. So by the time you're hearing this, it will obviously be up, MMAJunkie.com, uh, the breakdown, recommended picks and plays, and preliminary card section. That's where we're going to be starting. Uh, first fight, Christian Colombo versus Marcelo Golm. Um not a lot on Golm, only a, I don't even want to say a handful of fights. I mean, I think I only found uh, two fights and, and some other obscure footage that, that, that wasn't a full fight or anything. Um, but for, you know, as reluctant as whatever transcriptions and interviews, you, what little there is on that end of things, too, um, you wouldn't know. He didn't seem like a reluctant guy. He, he seems like a real, a real natural, I guess, because he, for a big guy, I don't he uh, he moves really well. Um, again, I'm a big fan of. Uh, we talked about it last week. Although that fight got pulled for soccer hooliganism, the Adam Wojcik versus Anthony Hamilton fight. I like these big guys that kind of look like they move and or predicate their game on smaller men. 
And uh, Golem looks like that, you know, uh, from the way he puts together his strikes and kind of bounces on his feet in and out. Uh, to the way he hits his, uh, hits, has a very serviceable double leg. It looks like uh, that. It looks like by no accident that he can hit it. Um, obviously, lack of competition, heavyweights. There's a lack of competition outside the UFC in, in, in general. Uh, so it's, it's no no fault of their own, in other words. But again, a real thing we have to take into account for, and probably the reason why you see it on my fights to avoid list. Uh, I avoided. I went with the favorite, which is Golm, who's currently listed at a minus two twenty five. Uh, plus one eighty five. The odds have been shifting all day. It's been a it's been a hot day for the odds for what have been kind of tight contentious odds all week. Um, people are playing today because even even though I revise my odds to the day the article comes out, which is uh, Thursday the twenty sixth. Most of y'all probably listen to this on Friday the twenty seventh though. Um, yeah, even though the, the the day my article comes out, I also of course put the up uh, up to date odds. But even from this morning to tonight, the odds have shifted. So I, I incorporated for those. I'll note those as we go along. Just just kind of throwing that out there, and uh, and yeah, Colombo the comeback is plus one eighty five. Um, yeah, I got Golm here. Should get uh, should get things done inside the distance because uh, he's the more skilled fighter standing on the feet. Uh, Colombo doesn't have much to offer. Um, one of those one of those. Uh, Really tall, unathletic, like Eastern Euro- European guys that try to be like, oh, I'm a Dutch kickboxer, but they just really, it's very just rickety. Like you can just see his, it's very mechanical the way he moves. Like everything is kind of giving away to what he wants to do, uh, depending on the strike. And again, against a guy who's, who's, who's younger, moves better, looks much more potent in his shots, shot selection, and just variety. Uh, yeah, I got Golm. He's on the fantasy team. Uh, other than fantasy, uh, other than a fantasy pick, you know, there's, there's no plays. I'm not recommending anything on him. All right, next fight, Devison. Let me make sure I'm going by the UFC. Yeah, uh, headlining the, the fight pass portion of the prelims. Uh, Devison Figueredo versus Jared Brooks. It's a really reluctant pick on Brooks. This fight, though, also on the fights to avoid uh, because it's close. Like, I, it, I felt like really like a coin flip. Like, I mean, I, even after I submitted the pick, I'm like, you know, oh, shit. Maybe Figueredo will win because it's hard. Devison Figueredo is a guy who, you know, as they kind of alluded to in the commentary, you know, fights to his competition. Whether or not that's true entirely, I'm not sure. But it certainly appears that way because when you watch his fights regionally, Devison, the Brazilian, he's just really weird low-handed style. And he's just kind of rolling and returning. And it looks really freaking wild. Um you know, the ground and the transitions, that stuff's kind of roughly the same. Catching kicks, getting on top, uh, passing, good, good from the mount. All, all these things were kind of this, kind of translated over, but, but the striking, you know, he, he comes in his UFC debut and all of a sudden he has his guard up, his hands are, you know, he's, it's just, it's, it's a much more tight performance from the start. And yeah, he loosens up as he starts hitting, um, you know, hitting, hitting and getting Marco Beltran out of there. I mean, you can even really see it in that final stanza when he when he's chaining off, throwing his hooks to his uppercuts. You see that kind of a, a flailing arm Gumby, low-handed style that I was kind of alluding to kind of start coming out in those brief instances. But if he is a guy that fights to his style that makes him dangerous, even more dangerous than he already is for a flyweight, being that he, a guy that can appear to, you know, f- finish guys both on the ground and on the feet for a flyweight, which, you know, you have to take into account for. More so than other weight classes, I guess, because it's more valuable. Flyweight, it's more of a, a, a rare commodity, being able to finish and finish in both both categories, so to speak. But Jared Gordon, I don't think we saw the best of him. Um, you know, even though there's not a lot from his pancreas to other stuff you can go uh, Google on the kid. Um, but 
I like his mentality listening to his interview. I mean, you can be, you know, I, I get the whole confidence thing and rubbing the people the wrong way, shticks and gimmicks. Like, I get that. Um, but I, I guess what I'm talking about or what I like about his personality is the analysis part. You know, he, he considers himself an analyst and this and that. And uh, it's kind of funny because usually fighters hate watching tape A and like... I don't know. Maybe maybe it's my own uh, maybe it's my own kind of uh, you know, insecurities and self deprecation. But uh, you know, it just seems like analyst or th- this or that. Like for example, when I'm talking to a fighter, I'm like, "Hey, man, I'm Dan Tom. I'm an analyst. Like that's not my that's not my opener." You know, I, in fact, I'm very reluctant to even bring up really any of that. You know, it's just a weird thing. Like there, it, it's it's a respect thing for me for one, obviously, uh, but but for for a lot of reasons there. So to hear kind of a fighter embrace that, and even not even afraid to give himself a label that maybe is not the most embraced label inwardly or outwardly by fighters, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, I appreciate that, man. I appreciate you know I appreciate students of the game. You know, we were interviewing Eddie Alvarez last week on Junkie Radio, and I was asking you know the, the typical question you know media will ask. Uh, coaches would be like, "What did you learn about your game from coaching? Did it help you as a fighter?" And I, I come, I don't really want to ask that. I'm like, you know, come on, you're a competitor at the end of the day. What did, what did, you know, Justin Gaethje's co- coaching and interactions, seeing how he coaches, does that tell you anything as a fighter? And it's funny because I asked it very broadly and loosely, non-specifically, but Alvarez answered in the exact way that I kind of break down fights or my not break down fights, but how my analytical fucked up head works where. He was doing the same thing where he was looking at Gaethje and going, oh, he's giving this advice. That means he's wired this way, which translates that he probably takes these pathways or is wired to naturally take these pathways and is already planning along these lines. Again, it's really cool stuff, uh, deciding factors, stuff you should put too much weight into. No, and I'm sure Eddie knows that. But it is, again, it, I really enjoy seeing fighters kind of uh, unabashedly uh, embrace that role. I mean, we talked to uh, uh, James Vick this week and and it was, it was kind of funny because we had Brian Carraway in studio, and both of them, I, I like both guys, but both are very different type of dudes, to say the least. And they respectfully, it wasn't heated or anything, they, they, they you know, uh, debated opinions on certain things back and forth, and it was really it was really cool to hear um, those different perspectives. So anyway, so, sidetrack, side tangent. I like when fighters can do that. Does that mean Jared Gordon, back to the not Jared Gordon, Jared Brooks, does that mean Jared Brooks is going to win against uh, Devis and Figueredo? Uh, no. <laughs> no, it doesn't guarantee that at all. But um, but he's got a really well-rounded game, even though uh, it was really boring and we saw kind of the worst part of it as far as the cage pressure and cooking. There was intelligent things he was doing there. Um, you know, was it the best? Was it his first choice? Was it exciting? No, no, no. But, I mean, it, there were positives to take away, and if that's the worst thing, well, you know, we, we'll we get to this more, I guess, later in the card. But it's funny, it's better, it's, you know, we get mad at boring styles, but it's better. That's kind of... The safest shots, right? Guys that will not that, that that's Jared Brooks' style, but just saying, like guys that push against the fence and you know, long controlling, wrestling, wrestle fucking, you know, quote unquote. Anyways, but uh, it's it's a love hate relationship, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. As a degenerate gambler with those styles. All right, moving on to the next fight, FS2, I believe. Uh, Elizu Zaleski, a fighter I'm I'm starting to like so much, but a name that is quickly rising to the top that I hate to type out as someone who has to type out fighters' names uh, to the nth degree. Um, yeah, hate typing his name, but 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 a fan of this guy. And if you've been a, a better of of, of, of uh, 
Elijah Duskew Dos Santos there. Uh, he has been making money because he's usually an underdog. And uh, Max Griffin, a lot of talent, you know, coming from that, that NorCal fight scene, MMA gold. Um, he's got some real power, a lot of, you know, a lot of potential, but not enough volume, not enough well-diversified attack, wrestling defensively, offensively not there. Uh, much such the control stuff, you know, uh, grappling control fundamentals still yet to be seen. The sample sizes are limited. Could Max Griffin, you know, hit a one-two down the pipe and catch Dos Santos? Sure, but Dos Santos, though he's been rocked in fights before, he's durable. He recovers very fast, and you know he fights for your money. He puts volume out there. He puts numbers. He puts pressure. Uh, he puts. Uh, he's not afraid to go for takedowns. When he's taken down, he is great at the un- one of my favorite unorthodox ways to get up, especially from half guard when they're shutting down your underhook get up from a half guard. You see clamp under the armpit. Push them forward with their weight into a heel hook and use the heel hook as an attempt to scramble, not to submit, but to scramble back to your feet or get on top. And he does it beautifully. Um, he's able to hang with guys that were quote unquote good grapplers. Uh, he's good. The grappling should be the the most varied skill gap in this one. That's why uh, Dos Santos is. You know, speaking of guys you want to bet on, you want to bet on guys who are going to have pressure output. They're going to put numbers out there. They're durable. Um, and uh, they're, they're, they aren't afraid to grapple if they need to. Um, and, and Dos Santos is that guy for me. Uh, at minus 210 is what I got him for. Let's see what he's currently listed. Uh, minus 220. He's climbing steadily. Still uh, a solid leg. One of the more confident legs. Probably the most uh, confident parlay leg, I guess, for what that's worth. Um, which kind of says a lot about these cards, but I'm, that's not a complaint because you know what? This is a really fucking good card. Uh, the reason why there's not maybe the best, most confident bets is because it's just really well made, well made matchmaking. There's a lot of live dogs. I thought I was gonna, uh, not to tip my cap too much, but I thought I was gonna be going with a lot more dogs. But but we'll get to that as we as we get there. Dos Santos is the pick over Griffin. Uh, Griffin proves me wrong here. Good on you, kid. Good on you, kid. All right, next one, Jack Marshman, plus 400 to now Antonio Carlos Jr., who ballooned up to the minus 500. You know, usually I end up having one of these guys on my parlay pieces if I'm, you know, gun to my head having to give one, which I do, uh, which I do give on, on the weekly. Uh, and then they end up blowing up to these ridiculous prices. I, I, didn't, I did not have Carlos Jr., nor did I have anything this high of a price on my recommended bets um, this week. Yay, I guess, whatever that worth. Um, but, uh, but, but yeah, I mean, it was hard, man. I'm a big Marshman fan. Maybe it was because he was a lackluster performance against one of the, well, arguably, depending on who you ask, <laughs> the bottom-tier guy in that division, uh, in, in, in Ryan Jane's no offense, he seems like a... Nice enough, weird enough cat, I guess. Um, but but uh, yeah, it was a lackluster performance from Marshman, and and, and Antonio, Antonio Carlos Jr. is one of those guys who it's like I'm always looking to to fade, uh, kind of a, a, a dude. <laughs> Not to be a dick, because he seems like a nice guy. He looks like a looks like a mixedmartialanalyst.com web guy, Mike Stith, who apparently is in London right now. Shout out, Mike. Have fun over there, buddy. But um. But yeah, Antonio Carlos Jr., you know, he, he is showing subtle improvements. Uh, he is showing that, you know, he can get through ad- uh, adversity, you know, in small doses and sample size since his past falters. Um, so I get it. I get it. You know, I, I definitely get it. 
the angle I like on this fight, though, the over was set at one and a half, and I see this going over. I mean, Marshman's never been submitted, uh, even though his, his wrestling defense isn't great. And I, I definitely can see Antonio Carlos Jr. down, uh, getting him down. But I know Marshman's done some traveling. I think he's hit some American camps. It uh, doesn't look like anything when I went through his I, Instagram. is real limited stuff, what he's been doing as far as wrestling uh, or stuff I go to other find it through my other sources online. But um, I don't know, man. I, I He could get the upset. But, I, but more importantly, I, I played the over. I played it. Shoot, it actually went down to minus 150. I got it at 170, and I still played it for a unit uh, over one and a half because um, even Marshman, if he's doing really well, like he still takes about a round to get his rhythm. He's a slow burn guy that kind of builds momentum if you let him. Now, I think the momentum's going to get stifled from grappling pressure, but I just think it's going to be an ugly fight. You know, I, I think that um, Carlos Jr. will do his in and out and, 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 and uh, kind of test his standing in the beginning like he often does a little bit before he starts kind of going for takedowns. Uh, whether that goes good or bad, he will go for those takedowns. It'll probably be some styming up against the fence for anything significant happens. And I don't see really anything significant happening until the second round, um, which cuts it close to the one and a half, but... Just the fact that it's at a one and a half for being that low, and not not even just the numbers, because you go chasing numbers, you go chasing bets that aren't there, right? But no, honestly, when I, even when I look at overs or unders, which I'm not a, a big uh, player on, um, you know, I even though maybe I'll have maybe one of those kind of natured lines of card, maybe, but in looking at like potentials for fights that okay, there's no way this goes a distance or this one goes over or this one goes over or under any of those strong feels this was was actually one of the stronger feels for going over even just forgetting uh, just looking at it blind without it without a number attached let's say the numbers aren't even out yet i would say that I'm like, hmm, the over for this fight would be worth looking at so when it comes out at a minus 170 now minus 150 for a one and a half total uh that's a play for me um, so I played it straight. It was low enough to play it straight. Uh, those things can be really dangerous. You know, I was burned uh, last week, I think, uh, one of the women's fights, uh, doing the typical women's over. So, I mean, you know, it can be real dangerous when you do overs in general, especially with like a parlay. So when you see a total that's uh, low and the number that's low attached to it, fuck it. Why not take a shot when it, when, when the analysis lines up with it? And that's how as I do my bets. All right. Um, so there's a play on that. That's it. I stayed away. Next one is uh, headlining the... Wow, where did the headline? Jesus, we are. Oh, no, I skipped uh, Jared Gordon and Hakran Diaz. Jared Gordon is a straight play. Jared Gordon... Where are you, Jared? Minus 165, he's currently at. Plus 145 is the comeback on Hakran Diaz. Uh, I, I took Gordon straight up for uh, one unit at, at minus 55, so... Yeah, actually, wow, that is one line I actually, uh, you know, didn't uh, lose some value on from when I played it, I guess, for whatever that's worth. But, um, no, I'm really confident. Uh, Gordon almost made the pairing for the parlay piece. I did parlay him with the two listed, by the way. We'll get to the second um, leg uh, later on in the card. But uh, Gordon was right there, man. I mean, I know it's his only his second fight, and Hawkrin, you know, Hakun Diaz is is more of a proven commodity, although I'm not high on that commodity. But yes, technically by nature he is proven, right? There's more of a sample size on him. But uh, I, I've never been impressed with Hakun Diaz. He's just been one of the big bigger letdowns, you know. Uh, definitely the biggest letdown of that Nova and Yao camp, as far as like, look at this guy. He looks the part. All the hype. Everybody is announcers, commentators, his teammates, his cornermen, his coaches, media. Like, there have been points where you've tried to put Hawker and Diaz and 
overestimated, giving him the respect, giving him the benefit of the doubt. And he doesn't come through. He's just a low percentage grind. If you if you don't essentially if you don't have wrestling, he's going to beat you. Or if you don't have good enough wrestling to shut him down and not let him shut you down, he's going to stifle you at the very least, slowing down the fight at the very least. But Gordon comes from a wrestling base, uh, also comes from a boxing base. I mean, I think he comes from a line of boxers. I think his grandfather was a bare-knuckle boxer. I think his dad boxed. And you see it in his style. He's this pressure fighting, you know. I don't know, maybe it's the spirit in which he fights. He doesn't switch his stances I used to switch his stance a little more, but uh, there's just maybe uh, it's something that like it gives me the, the Marciano, that Rocky Marciano vibe, that just come forward, you know, uh, fighter. And, and when you have that, you know, those boxing and wrestling chops, and you're putting on volume, and you, it shows you can take a shot, and from inside to out of outside of the cage, you've proven that you're an overcoming adversity type of dude. Who not even hard drugs and you know heroin that's supposed to kill you? All of Matt Brown can put you down, you know. Yeah, I see Jared Gordon in that Matt Brown run, except unlike Matt Brown, who just kind of picked it up from you know went from mosh pit to a cage fight. Again, Jared Gordon's got box wrestled, and I haven't even got to his jujitsu. Was a brown belt, not just a brown belt, but John Donaher brown belt. So you get you know grappling fundamentals, a higher level that all the stereotypes that would come with a brown belt in Brazilian jujitsu, but Donaher is. I really respect those guys. You know, uh, you know, you know, Gordon Ryan and all those dudes taking the uh, tone and all those dudes kind of taking over the grappling scene. They're they're very leg lock savvy dudes, and not a lot of guys embrace the leg locks. I was lucky enough to have a coach named Lanson who did, but John Donaher was one of the dudes on the East Coast who was waving the leg lock flag the right way, and um, and uh, so whether they're doing it to guys or guys are trying to do it to them. You always have to feel good about their fighters being prepared for those type of things for what it's worth. At least I uh, give them more of the on-paper points. And again, you know, these fights don't take place on paper. But when I'm, anal- when I'm, anal- I'm analyzing, analyzing, analyzing these, these things, these, these are little chess boxes I play in their favor over, per se, run-of-the-mill brown belt, right? Um, so, yeah, I know that a Donaher brown belt, it, it, they're a no-gi-focused group as well. So they're going to translate better just by nature um, as far as that goes. So I'm real high on Jared Gordon here, man. Uh, I think his jiu-jitsu is better. His wrestling is going to be better. He's going to put numbers. Um, I, I just added a fun flyer, plus 1,200 for a quarter unit in round three because I think he gets a late stoppage. Um, but I played him straight for a unit at minus 155. He almost made my parlay leg officially. But, again, y'all y- y- y'all get the real deal, what makes the cut, what doesn't, all here on the Protect Your Neck podcast. But he is, he is a part of my parlay. Um, didn't play him on fantasy, so we are moving on to the headliner on FS2. That is Vincente Luque and uh, Nico Price. This was an 11th hour uh, kind of pick two. Not 11th hour. I was just kind of one where I was just back and forth on it from from reading the damn fight, to be honest. Uh, Nico Price is a guy I've been wrong about a bunch before. Luque is a guy I've been high about, man. Um, he's another dude that... that uh, uh, Used to train uh, a bit under a former coach, Neil Melanson. Now it looks like Luke Cave is more on the split of the side with the. Uh, by the way, I don't, I don't even know when any of that drama drama is down there. I don't even know if it's even between the coaches what happened to it. I just know everybody's kind of at different spots. Um, but uh, I think Luke Cave is more uh, just at combat club with hoofed and whatnot. And uh, 
Man, I'm a big fan of Luke. You know, he his parents come. You know, he's a martial arts family. I think his parents talk karate or something. You can see that kind of in and out, back and forth, a real distance management savviness in his style, which comes in handy because Luke isn't the biggest welterweight. Um, and Price is, it seems like a kind of just physical dude on his way up in skill and and even in size, just. One of those dudes that just seems hard to deal with, an over an overachiever on fight night. So you have the technical savvy guy who's great, got the Luta Levy background and, and, and Luke, great from a front headlock, Dars. You know, I could see him catching um, Price. The problem is, I think he's going to have to work to get him down. He can get him down, he can submit him, but he's going to have to work. And you know. We did see him tire against Leon Edwards. Leon Edwards is, is, is good. Is a great fighter, and that was a, a very tough fight for Luke matchup wise. It was a tough fight for how it played out, and, and Luke had every right to be, you know, um, tired by the third round. So it's not a condemnation on him per se, but you know, I have to look at that. And when I think about, you know, grappling is going to get him most tired, especially a guy that likes to bounce around, stay light on his feet, even though he's got a good uh, base in grappling. His main base is striking. Imagine the grappling, um, you know, even gra- it does the same thing to grapplers. Even if that is your base, it usually tires you out more. So in fact, that and OK, well, let's look at the striking. Yeah, I mean, if a guy like, you know, uh, again, uh, what's his name? Is it Morono? Mar- yeah, I mean, that guy's an over overachiever as well. But uh, if a guy like Morono, so it's no knock, but if a guy like Morono can piece up, you know, Nico Price and almost had Nico Price out of there in their fight. I think it was like, I don't know if he got saved by the bell, but it was like right at the end of the round, right? And, um, well, it was definitely at the end of the round when Morono got stopped, but I'm talking about the first round when Morono was piecing up Price. So before that, Morono was piecing up Price. And it's like, okay, well, Morono can do that. Well, then fucking Luke could definitely do that. And then you start running back Luke Bilal Muhammad and, you know, uh, stuff like that that starts kind of running back through your head. But, so, I mean, my, so my original pick was Luke, but when I look at it, man, you know, <laughs> Part of it, I'll be honest, like, it, I, I'm okay. Like, I can pick uh, a plus 500 dog and be secure and make my case for it. Y'all have seen me do it before. Um, I can go all chalk, which, you know, I'm not going to lie. The majority of my picks, obviously, are, are, are chalk. It's kind of hard not to um, when you come at it from the quote-unquote analyst perspective. Uh, and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with these things. But I will be honest, part of me, when I have my picks and then I look, and even if it's like, you know, all, you know, all favorites, or you, you pick, technically picked a dog, but it was a dog that opened as a dog, got pushed to a favorite, or is now a pick 'em. You know, those are tend to be the more kind of a. If you'll see dog picks, they'll be you know more that end of the spectrum naturally, right? Of course, but uh, I'll see that and I'm like, ooh, I don't know because I wonder if there's a statistic out there for this. Feel free to hit me up on Twitter at Dan Tom MMA if y'all know, but like. Just off the top of my head, you know, being a guy who's been, and I'm not the only one, so so you fellow heads listen to my podcast, y'all know who you are, feel free to hit me up too um, if you have any thoughts on this, but it feels like if we were to have an average, and, and again, anybody feel free to chime in on this, um, if there's an average for how many dogs hit on a, what's the average, 12 to 13, well now it's like 10 to 11 because we lose like half our fights on weigh-in day now, but anyways, let's say 12 fights on average, let's just say 12 fights UFC card average, how many dogs hit? I would say my average is off the top of my head, and just again being in being, you know, being in the the battlefield week in and week out, I'm about seeing on an average. I would say three point three, three point five would be like an my my like 
guess off the top of my head slash semi-official guess because that actually sounds like a good number. But yeah, I say 3.5 uh, dogs out of out of an average of 12 fight uh, matchup fight card would hit. Hit me up at Dan Tom MMA what you guys think it is, especially you degenerates who are always in, in, in the uh, in the trenches with me. There's the word I was looking for, trenches. Um, yeah, in the trenches with me, hit me up on that. But yeah, you know, it kind of makes me suspect. And Price is just one of the guys screaming at me. And again. A real recent theme, not an excuse because these are things that I, I talk about openly before and after the pick. Um, but uh, old Dan Tom overcorrects the steering wheel, uh, going away from his gut a little too much, a little bit too much of the quote unquote analyst hat. And it's burned me a couple times. And, and something about Nico Price just is, is speaking to me. Maybe I've been listening to too many interviews from him. Uh, I know his last one on the MMA Roadshow where he's getting ready for the hurricane really kind of won me over, kind of showed what kind of a mentality of a madman this guy is. Like, yeah, this guy just really doesn't give a fuck. Um, so I see Nico Price not giving a fuck um, that Vincente Luque is the more technical fighter and should win. I don't think Nico Price really cares about that. Um it's on the fights to avoid because it is uh, it is really close, but I'd be lying if I didn't do the old dollar bet on Nico Price there. <laughs> and on that beat, we are going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to unpack the main card of UFC Sao Paulo right here in the Protect Your Neck Podcast. And we're back right here in the Protect Your Neck podcast for the UFC Sao Paulo main card. All right, we are on the first fight of the main card. Uh, not in the lightweight division. They are. It's a bantamweight barn burner, baby. It is Marlon Vera plus four twenty-five dog. It's John Lineker, who is now up to minus five fifty. Wow, the love for Lineker. I can't blame it though. I mean, he is a fun guy to watch, man. Like as I said, in my breakdown. He's like Super Mario, Super Mario when he acquires the star of invincibility. That's how he stalks down people. Um, you know, the fun action fighter. Uh, left to right continuums, kill zone between the inner octagon lines and the fence. Y'all know my takes on Lineker by now. If not, read the breakdown, MMAJunkie.com. But I went into this fight trying to look for every reason to pick Vera. I'm a big fan of Vera, a bigger fan after meeting him. I know you're not supposed to say that and whatnot, but but I am. Really... Really, really, really contagious. I could see. I, I could. Uh, yeah, I could see why. You know. Uh, you know. Some guys have an, an infectious personality. And it's kind of odd because they be such. You know, savages um, in the ring. Like you look at Vera. Even like between rounds, he's like bumping shoulder, bumping guys. You know, punching right till when the bell goes. You're just like, oh, this guy's fucking intense. But outside of it, a gem, a gem. Um, but yeah, you know, uh, still got to do got to do the job here, and uh, and and the pick is Lineker. Although I will say, you know, bias aside, this line is fucking off. I think it's the most off card on the, on the line. That's why I put it on my avoid list, and that's why I put Vera on my DraftKings uh, team. By the way, DeSantos was also on my DraftKings team. Um, There's DeSantos and Gold going from the prelims. The rest is on the main card. Uh, the rest of the roster, I should say, will be on the main card, uh, starting with uh, uh, Vera. Because uh, Vera's the cheapest. He's the cheapest uh, for for six thousand eight hundred. He's your cheapest, you know, DraftKings selection piece, and he 
you know, if he if he does win, his his path to victory is is through a finish, getting a submission and a scramble, perhaps even stunning Lineker. I know it sounds crazy because you know, like, you know, T.J. Dillashaw's elbow hurt from elbowing John Lin- fracturing John Lineker's face when John Lineker was saying, "Elbow me more," like like a madman. Like, what? That guy's gonna get hurt? Like, I get it. Like, but then at the same time, Lineker is a small bantamweight. Like. The physics is physics. Reality is reality. There's no free ride, right? There's no biological free ride. It's got to end sometime, right? He's got he's got to get rocked sometime, and maybe it would be by a big fucking bantamweight, a guy that look, almost looks like he's my size when I met him in person, Marlon Vera. This guy's big. He's not like, five eight. Isn't just big for a bantamweight on, on paper because it is, but Vera is a sizable one, and what he throws our shins to the head and knees to the head. And what we've seen with those is you don't need knockouts. You don't need to be at a heavier weight class for head kicks and shins to the head to, 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 to hurt you. And Lineker, when he goes from his uh, left to right continuums, he actually often leads with his right. And before he does that, he will dip down to his right. So dipping down to his right puts you in line to attacks from an opponent's left. In other words, a south Paul head kick. In other words, Vera's favorite, most dangerous weapon standing. Vera's second most dangerous weapon standing, which he'll throw off of his straights and try to intercept guys on the way in. He was a little, he was, he's still a little rec, too reckless for my taste with it, but he's, you could see him temper. There's more of a process to it now in the way in which he throws it, and, and they'll serve him well here, which is knees up the middle. He'll variate his timings. He still likes to do that from southpaw too as well. I guess that's kind of the tell there. It's the southpaw stance for the knees and kicks, but he variates it well. You know, he'll do the slow one, hoping you're going to dip and evade uh, the first one, and he's coming right up the center with the second knee. I love it. Um, and I think that would serve him well here against against Lineker, and you're going to need those kind of shots. Like, it's going to have to be a shot from a bigger guy, and it's going to have to be a colliding knee or a colliding head kick for Lineker to get rocked, and even if he doesn't stop him, he just needs to rock him, right? He just needs to create that scramble because Chito Vera, though he doesn't have, you know, the strongest offensive wrestling game, and that sadly hasn't been one of his improvements because that was the main crux of the argument I was looking to bet him upon since he didn't have it, hence I could not pick him. Nevertheless, he's a really good opportunistic grappler. He really can find it whether he's catching, he's catching, he's really good at catching kicks, although Lineker doesn't throw very many kicks. Um... He's good at you know spinning guys off the kicks, getting getting to their back. Obviously, in grappling scrambles, he does very well. When he's on his back, he can still finish a, a really uh, a really aggressive and attacking guard. But but with with a good acumen though, not just like blindly attacking and throwing up bullshit. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's a lot to like about Vera. Unfortunately, not enough for me to pick him as much as I'm pontificating about his game. Uh, I, I think this one's gonna look like. Uh, Jessica Andrade versus Angela Hill. Uh, I got Lineker by decision. Uh, I would be lying if I didn't, you know, sprinkle uh, a little bit on the inside the distance for uh, Marlon Vera because if he upsets, it's going to be that way. Uh, again, analytic wise, this would be a state. Even if the line, rep- even if the line was where I where I deem accurate for what you know for what that's worth, I still wouldn't play Lineker. Um, this is this is just a volatile matchup, so. Um, I, yeah, that's why I don't mind telling you uh, that I may have sprinkled a little bit on Vera for fun. And when I say sprinkle, it's like five, it's like five bucks. You know what I'm saying? It's some some bullshit like that. And again, yeah, that one was number one on the avoid list, so it's not like I'm uh, I'm not warning warning y'all. 
But um, but yeah, I'm just hoping for a good fight. You know, we're just hoping for a good fight because the fans are gonna win. And the next, the next fight is uh, Tiago Santos, who uh, is now a plus 105 dog versus Jack Hermanson, who is now a minus 125 favorite. I I got Chuck Hermanson at one unit versus uh, at minus 135. He is my other straight play. Um, there are other guys I may or may may not have sprinkled straight on this card, like I like I, I have hinted at so far. But as far as you know, again, we're going off the breakdown MMAJunkie.com. My my two most confident ones. That's right. It's uh, Jared Gordon, uh, as far as you know, where everything lines up for the money. Uh, minus one fifty-five, one unit. He's now minus one sixty-five. And Jack Hermanson, who I had minus one thirty-five, he is now currently Thursday night minus one twenty-five. Put a unit on him. Um, Jack Hermanson, by the way, as well, on the drafting team for a notable, uh, for a reasonable eight thousand three hundred dollars. Because Santos, you know. He is getting better. So now not only does he have the hype and knockout power that makes most of us ooh and ah and want to pick him, which he's probably going to be a very represented, uh, more, one of the, I would imagine, more represented guy, uh, guys, at least in the dog department. Um, Santos is for DraftKings. That's why I feel Hermanson's a good play because not only is he the more diverse striker on paper who can, you know, not you know not known for the pop in his strikes or anything, but... Um, he does. He has. He he does have. Heavy, I shouldn't say no. He actually has, does have heavy hands, but uh, he's not known for stopping guys on the feet. I should say he's more known for stopping guys on the ground or pounding them out on the ground. Hermanson, that's his path. It's a more secure path, a more high percentage path in general. It's also a more high scoring path. Yes, I'm talking about the takedown ground and grounding, finishing out your opponent that way path. It is the more high scoring path in in DraftKings as well. So that kind of weighs a little higher. Uh, that's why I feel he's a worthy choice as a favorite, that even though he is a favorite, he may not be as popular as a pick of a favorite. But uh, I see him getting things done early because you let Tiago Santos start finding his rhythm and getting his confidence in there, it is a bad thing because Tiago Santos has all the athletic ability and skill to shine through. And now that he's doing a more bigger bulk of his camps at American Top Team, we're seeing that as well shine through in his performances. You know, We're seeing Tiago Santos, we're, we're actually getting a, a, a more better grappling sample size i think up until like before his last two fights i think all uh all seven or whatever his ufc fights i think it equivalent we, we got like i think like three minutes and 30 something seconds of ground time total like that's all you saw of him you know up till like two fights ago which is insane you know up till his musasi fight that, that is yeah and so it, it was always really tough to gauge that's why I often picked against Santos, which I uh, I did pick against him here. Tiago Santos, that is not Elijah Dosquito Santos, but um, yeah. So I picked against him here, and he could very well burn me again. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I thought Marshman was going to get the the slight upset last time out, didn't? All good, great, great job to Santos. Great highlight reel, you know. Good on him if he comes through here, but I. I don't see it. Hermanson is one of those guys I've been high on. You know, you all know it if you've been following the podcast. Uh, he's a guy I actually use as my example. One of the examples as far as debutantes that I was on too for as far as delineating between what kind of debutantes I'm on as to what, what I'm not. You know, a general rule of thumb for many. There is no real rules for me nor in this madness game called betting MMA but rule of thumb, you know, careful about betting on debutantes for many reasons that you hear commentators preach uh, for you know the last 10 years now in the UFC. Oh, it's a UFC jitters, right? Uh, that shit is real to a certain extent. Um, but yeah, Hermanson, her from the skills to his attitude intangibles, um, he's the kind of guy that's going to overcome. He's going to get better. He's going to embrace the challenge. 
And uh, his last time in Brazil was not good. It was one of his weirder times, and it made more sense when he was very open and honest, something I respect, about his anxiety issues and overcoming them. And I, not only do I respect that as characteristically as a human being, it shows that you were a strong human being, that you could admit your faults, but when you can work through them too on the highest level and the highest pressure cooker, put together two impressive wins, I know, not, not, the, not the craziest of opponents, but still very impressive wins, my goodness. Uh, those are all very good signs, all very good trends to Hermanson, who is actually the younger fighter by like five or six years. He's like only 29, I know. I don't know what it is. He looks like he's like a, a spry 47, Hermanson, you know, but he apparently is only 29. So a lot to like there. Uh, I played him straight up. Um, I actually don't have him in parlay. I mean, I may, I may put him one before before the, the yeah, actually why well, I will because I, I still got to do my, my fun parlay for where I parlay my main card picks for fun. So he'll be on something like that for fun. But uh, the main thing for Hermanson was the straight play. Um, and, uh, oh, yeah, I also played him at inside the distance. Uh, let's see what the current line is on that as I pull it up. Uh, inside the distance because you know, this is one of those fights where you really can't tell if he's just going to punch him out from him out if he gets to that position or goes for a choke. Um, if he gets there, obviously. I mean, obviously, you know, Santos could start him. All right, here it is. Plus 161. And what did Dan Tom get it for? Do, 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 do. Your mother's a whore, Trebek. Dan Tom got it for... <laughs> Jesus Christ. Plus 127. Yes, I am on the wrong side. <laughs> Again, there we go. All right. On that note, next fight. Oh, Jesus. I'm excited for this fight, but I'm not. Because at the same time, I love both guys. One more than the other. Francisco Masaranduba Trinaldo versus Jim Miller. Um, I, I love Trinaldo's story. My goodness, I'd be lying if I didn't get teary-eyed. Uh, teary-eyed uh, when Masaranduba gave his uh, post-fight speech after beating Chad Laprise, the uh, first official fight I broke fight card I broke down on MixedMartialHonest.com. Um, by the way, side note: speaking of admitting, you know, admitting stuff that you know people. Most people would think embarrassing or emasculating. When I'm putting my and, and people, I, don't, I think people, some people think I exaggerate, but this is actually a low, <laughs> a low gauge. When I'm putting when I when I'm putting my 40 hour average into each each fight card, and granted that that's including tra you know transcription, which is trans when I'm done transcribing you know, the whole thing alone is like you know six hours, so you know writing, cutting out, study time. Again, the study time isn't 40 hours; it's much less. But you know, incorporating all together, neither here nor there. Anyways, in that study time, at least one time every fight card, guys and girls, old Dan Tom sheds a tear. There's one moment, maybe, I don't know, maybe it's the chemical imbalance from the head trauma that I'm dealing with, <laughs> dealt with in my life, or it's the fact that I'm, I'm just serial killer-like in my analyzing that I just, I'm like a method actor. Like, I put myself in the shoes, like, I'm just appreciating the moment. <laughs> Anyway, it's just funny like, to know there is I don't, uh, nothing, that, nothing that dramatic, obviously. But uh, yeah, Dan Tom gets dusty eyed like probably no more than twice, but at least once for whatever reason, you know. Maybe it sparks something that I haven't seen or a memory. You know, you're just like, oh, that's a great, great moment for this guy. And you're just really happy for them, you know. But uh, yeah, anyways. Tangent neither here nor there. This was tough. I had to go with uh, Trinaldo over Miller. And Miller is the fighter, obviously, uh, uh, I was alluding to earlier. For those of you who know me or have been listening to the podcast, Miller. One of my, 
uh, one of my favorite fighters of all time. Favorite fighters of all time. Lightweight division, favorite division. Lightweight fighters, one of the best lightweights ever. It's Jim fucking Miller, most winningest lightweight. And I think that that, that kind of uh, backs it up, my bias and, and fandom on the guy's side. I mean, even when I was competing, um, I mean, I remember, like, you know, having a fight with a heavy-handed wrestler and um, <laughs> doing a lot of coaching on myself at this time, sadly. But uh, I would go and I would pick up southpaw fighters that I really would like and I'd try to model, not model my game after them. I knew better than that. Uh, one of the few things I guess I knew. But I, I would try to obviously take pieces from people's game. It's the typical thing you hear. Uh, that's more I was doing. And Jim Miller, I would... At the time, this was this was a you know, more relevant fight of his at the time. Jim Miller versus Kamal Shalarus uh, for a heavy-handed wrestler, and just kind of looking at how Jim Miller, when he would set up his hooks, how the hook would lead to the cross, how the cross would lead to the level change, how he would level change and chain off and kind of go for that head outside signal, but quickly chain off to the double, and how that double could quickly chain off to a back take, and just seeing this series and how Jim Miller kind of put his things together, and and then watching him. Not evolve drastically, but evolve enough to stay atop of float, you know, one of the most craziest competitive divisions. And he didn't get easy fights. I mean, when he did get a quote-unquote easier fight, he did what he was supposed to do. You know, he was finishing these guys from guard or whatever, what have you, right? Putting him to sleep. Um, but, but yeah, it's been tough. And he had a little bit of, has had, you know, technically still could be in amongst the midst of that resurgence, depending on how, what your viewpoint is. Uh, from when he spotted the Lyme disease. And it, w it wasn't an excuse, not just because Jim Miller's a tough motherfucker and doesn't make excuses, but the performances, more importantly, spoke to it wasn't an excuse. You know, he wanted to turn around and put three wins together. Um, and I've been on the right and wrong side of, of his wins and losses and picking with him and against them. And if I could, I would pick, pick him every time. And believe me, I wanted to pick it so bad. Even if it was going to be a close fight like I think it was going to be, I'd be like, okay, well, at least if I can justify that it's a close fight, Pick uh, fight Dan, then you can justify your Miller pick. Okay, cool. You know, even with that confirmation bias, that of course I, I I note going into my study, I put it I put it aside. Um, I don't I don't you know fully fledged go off these things obviously, but you know, only a fool admits that they don't have biases. And if you want to work around them, well you have to admit them first. First step to recovery is admitting you have a problem. But um but yeah um but no no despite the biases or whatever they they just. This is a tough fight. Jim Miller is very hittable. I see that counter left to Masaranduba being there for him. You know, it was there over and over for him in the Dustin Poirier fight. That's how Poirier was turning the tide, even in the exchanges that Miller Miller was doing well in. Poirier would change the tide with that counter left hand that he has. And granted, Poirier has an awesome counter left. That's like his best shot. But still, uh, it's also Masaranduba's best shot. And and. I dare say maybe a more of a dangerous shot than Poirier. I think Poirier offers more of a dangerous game and is a better fighter than Trinaldo for what that's worth. But I'm just talking about the counter left hand um, that is relevant to the fight with Jim Miller. And Jim Miller has an underrated takedown game, and Masaranduba has shown he can be taken down. In fact, that is a that is a path to victory against him. But it's hard to take him down. I mean, the dude, you know, Masaranduba stands for Brazilian Redwood, and that is like him when you try to take him down. He's just got this fucking weird rock-solid base. It's like running into a tree stump. And you see guys do it. I mean, even Kevin Lee, his explosive shots. You know, just just go watch Kevin Lee's shots. That A lot of them failed, by the way. I think a majority of Kevin Lee's shots failed. Of course, once he got down to the ground, he got business taken care of. Uh 
with the help of an awesome scramble where he kicked off the fence. Nothing illegal. It was it was amazing, in fact. But I'm just saying, Masaranduba is a hard guy to get and hold down. In other words, even a guy like Kevin Lee is one of the better guys in the division when it comes to doing that was having trouble, and for a guy like Jim Miller, who's been plagued by his, as I like to put in my breakdown, kid-in-a-candy-store-like approach to submissions, he just can't fucking help himself. Um, we've seen it plague him, right? You know, from his ben, Benson-Henderson fight, where he was on that run, and that ruined his run back then, his seven-fight streak or whatever, which was before Tony Ferguson. I think Jim Miller was the motherfucker with the longest win streak, right? I mean, and that was ruined by that Benson-Henderson thing. Is Granted, Jim Miller, I guess, had mono in that fight or whatever, but I mean, he just thirst for the submission. We've seen, we've seen it burn him time and time again. Even in this last fight with Anthony Pettis, he uh, got a much-needed top control at a point in the fight. It was the second round, and early enough in the second round to not just close out the round, but then therefore set the tone to where he would just need to win one more round to beat Pettis. And uh, you just see him, he cooks him, he passes, gets to the back like Jim Miller does so beautifully, but just gets a little high, gets a little too aggressive as he always does, loses position, you know, just shit like maddening shit that's like, come on, man, that is like the one obvious kryptonite of your game, and that is the one thing for a guy who is, again, fucking credit, being able to evolve and stay afloat, just he should give give him medals, please, he deserves it. But for a guy that could do that to not fix the glaring part of his game of that, it's just like, God damn, it really must be in the guy's nature. Like, he can't help himself. I'm like, <laughs> you know? So that makes it tough for this match because uh, it's not going to help him on the scorecards against a guy in Brazil who already has a knack for winning close fights. It's Masa Randuba. So the pick is Masa Randuba by decision. I hope I'm wrong. No plays for this fight for me. I'm, I'm just going to sit back. All right, next fight. Pedro Munoz versus Rob Font. Um, let's pull up the odds here. Uh, Font was the favorite. This one was a little... Uh, even though you know I, I'm playing Font here, I, I guess I, I was surprised it was... The line was what it was. Well, no, maybe not. I thought it was in the 200s when it opened, but it, it's come down quite a bit. Minus 145, Pedro Munoz plus 125. I'm pretty big on Font here. Font actually was one of the props that made the cut. Uh, it was between him and, him and that Hermanson line. Uh, but uh, I ended up going with Font inside the distance plus 158 uh, for half a unit. It is now, let's see, I'm sure I probably got fucking <laughs> uh, lost some value on that line too, which is fine. I don't really give a shit. But um, Font inside the distance, yeah, plus 215. Wow, okay, anyway, so you can get it for more now. Uh, I'm going to break down and go into more detail about it. It's just essentially Munoz. I think it's going to have to be his opportunistic takedowns, which I'm not taking away. Like Munoz, one of the, the best opportunistic takedown guys, best guillotine guys in the division. Uh, nay, south of, uh, you know, south of 35. He's up there with those guys. Even, you know, put him with the flyweights too. Um, <clears throat> but... Although he shows to have really good off uh, uh, wrestling chops, like fundamentals and understanding, he barely uses them. Now, I don't know if that's due to his style because he has that plotty, stalking Muay Thai style that let, allows him to take a lot of damage because he's often just going forward in straight lines and stalking straight forward. Um, he doesn't have the opportunity, and that's a big reason why I'm going with Font. Font shows he can be taken down. Font doesn't show exception. Like, he has underrated grappling. When I say he's underrated grappling and, and underrated wrestling, it's offensive. Uh, defensively, Font has not shown to be strong there, at least yet. 
Sure, he's improving. He's in that age where he should be improving. He has the athletic potential to improve. But from what we've seen, he's been able to be taken down. So it's not that Pedro Munoz doesn't have the skills to take him down finish him. And there's not a clear path. Because there is. But I believe the key to this fight, the big differentiating factors are going to be Font's speed and footwork. And because of that speed and footwork, A limits the takedown shots that Munoz is going to have. He isn't a traditional shot guy, by the way. He's more of a body lock, clinch guy. Or, you know, if he does do double legs, it's against the fence. Or when he has his his fighter fighter tightly corralled against the fence, which at those weight classes, you do have to have him tightly corralled because you shoot the farther you shoot away, they're just so damn fast. They, they sidestep out of the way of your shot. Your game has to be a little more tight and put together. Um, so he will, when he gets tight to the fence, then you will see Munoz... Font's a hard guy to put against the fence, man. Um, and Munoz also, you know, caught kicks and snap downs to a front headlock. He's really good from those positions, but that's how he gets the majority of his takedowns. Now, Font, whether he's throwing combinations, whether he's fighting from the clinch, he's always keeping a really good posture. Now that I imagine, even though he has, from the naked eye, looks like more of a boxing-centric style. He comes from Team Studio Tong under uh, Mark Delagrate. And I got to imagine that's where the posture comes in handy. I mean, neck wrestling... Uh, doing those kind of Muay Thai drills. People don't understand how that translates. Something I preach as far as striking arts that translates to grappling the best. Um, Muay Thai stands alone, in my opinion, just because of the clinch wrestling drills they have to do. is very underrated. It's grappling, ladies and gentlemen. That's what it is. It's a, Muay Thai's striking art, sure. Striking combat sport, however you want to uh, lump it, subsection it, sure. You're not wrong, but that's that's grappling. That is straight-up grappling. Um, there's sweeps. There's off-balancing. Uh, maybe not the intent to off-balance you for a double leg, but the off-balance to drive you into a knee and crush your rib. And there's a lot at stake um, that you don't want to allow yourself to be debased. So you are still grappling for your uh, life in a, in a Muay Thai fight or in a Muay Thai uh, exercise even. You, it, it's, it's a translatable skill. Um, so, you know, Font keeps a good posture, so I'm not sure if I see Munoz getting the snap down on the taller Font who has reach and speed and footwork, and it's hard to pin down, and seldom throws kicks. When he does throw kicks, they're very well-placed. Um, so the opportunity, in other words, the opportunities to catch them, at least on paper, will be smaller for Munoz. So there, part A of the speed and footwork equation is limiting Munoz's main path. Because on the feet, Munoz has a lot of good offense. Like, Munoz has probably... I don't know if he has the best roundhouse knees in the UFC, but as far as what I've seen, and I watch a lot of footage, I haven't seen a better roundhouse knee yet. And that's not because there's probably like 30 guys who can throw a visually, destructively, by any metric, a better roundhouse knee than Munoz. But just uh, Munoz's hit dexterity from his, from his grappling, it translates beautiful to his knees because like just go watch that Jimmy Rivera fight. Like uh, The roundhouse knee hits on Rivera where he throws the knee up, but then you see it come up, over, and around the guard. It's a thing of beauty. The problem for Munoz is his defense. He utilizes a defense. I haven't talked about it lately because there hasn't been a lot of fighters that have come across my lexicon who overly abuse this, but something that I always kind of tangent on is this shelling defense. Again, on paper is on paper. That's not where the fights take place, and, you know, Tropes are tropes, and stereotypes are stereotypes, and they can just as easy, easily, you know, burn you as they help you. And careful the way you put it. Yes, 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 all those caveats attach. But traditionally, shell defense traditionally opens you up to uppercuts and body shots. 
and fought. Loves his liver shot. I mean, just look at his, uh, was it the fight with Joey Gomez in the post-fight speech? Uh, he's like midway trying to explain, like, oh, take us through what you're doing here, go, uh, what you're doing here, and Font's like trying to put his sentence together because he's so excited, but then he just goes, oh, the body shot! When he sees the body shot, like he freaks out because he loves that shot. Furthermore, his best shot is his uppercut, and he throws that. He tests every opponent with his uppercut, and that is the key punch in this fight. I see that it's just tailor-made. It's screaming at me as a connecting piece. I see him landing that uppercut and putting him out. Um, Font's the kind of guy that wants to put a statement with his grappling, and He's quietly been making those statements, although I hope he doesn't try to hear because he'll get more than he bargained for. That being said, what I'm getting at, the reason why it's inside the distance, though not TKO, though I'm so though I'm so confident on this read of the Pedro Munoz shelling and dipping into the uppercut, is that if he doesn't put him away with like a one shotter or something and goes to you know, gets on top and get the finish, I could see him kind of stealing on him, you know. You know, it's one of those things where I don't blame guys for doing this, but it's like, oh, I submitted a legend, but it's like, yeah, well, you took a, a prison shank and you, you you shanked him first and and bled him out and then choked him out. You know, when he was when he was lifeless, obviously no one's going to be bringing a prison shank, nor would I accuse Fawn of doing so. Um, but I'm just saying, like, you know, guys will, 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 will like rock a guy or something like on the feet, like they'll rock the grappler who they should. They have a better, they're a better on paper striker. And you don't see this a lot per se, but it's something that I think about where it's like, you know, if you wanted to, you know, put a feather in your cap and say you submitted this guy, it's like, fuck him up on the feet till like he could barely like defend himself, then go for a choke. Like, oh, you motherfucker. Like, because we've seen the, we've seen those before where that'll happen and the guy goes for a guillotine because the guy, because you know, he'll hurt someone on the feet. They'll shoot the desperation shot and the desperation shot leads to a guillotine where you see the guy's hands ready to tap before the guy's even sitting to his side for the guillotine, you know, like. I can see a scenario like that, like Font doing one of those. So that's why that's why I played the inside the distance line there. Font is also uh, on my um, for that reason. I, I think he's going to get a finish, put numbers, volume, in route to a win. Either way, uh, Font earned a spot on my um, DraftKings roster for eight thousand seven hundred. Again, always a big fan of guys who are going to put numbers on there for scorecards. And even though takedowns will get you more points and significant strikes with the DraftKings point structure, still it doesn't hurt to. Uh, adapt that state of mind over to your DraftKings play as far as thinking in terms of volume, uh, numbers, and etc. All right, uh, next fight is da, 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 da. oh, co main event time Damian Maya plus 110, Colby Covington minus 130. It's been really hanging around around here. I think minus 140 has been the main number that I've seen it at uh, all week for Colby Covington. Um, of course, when I went to play it, it started ballooning up. That's why I jumped on it because it looked like it was on the move up, and this was before it came back down. So again, I, I fuck it. I had the worst timing when I went and made my plays earlier this week. By the way, uh, at least on some of these lines, <laughs> I think I had minus one seventy or some shit for Covington. Anyways, you get him at a much better price now, minus one thirty. Um, Covington was the one where I was deciding between him and Gordon, and Covington is the guy that uh. Well, first of all, I, I, I guess I see him winning by decision. I guess I shouldn't say first of all. We'll, we'll get to that when we break down why. Um, I put a half unit, minus 110, which is now, I think it's like plus 131, another line I fucked up on uh, as far as my timing. Um, but uh, he's worth the straight play, especially now at minus 130. But he, he's a parlay piece. And it was tough because, I, again, Dan Tom tries to overcorrect the steering wheel sometimes you know if I like a guy I'll pick against them and I kind of explain my mentality and why I'm a little harder on those that I like kind of comes from a teaching style that I kind of 
it's found its way into my analysis and the way I work things out. So I'm, I'm really trying to spot these biases for better or worse. Um, and, uh, and, 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 and yeah, um, uh, one of them was, you know, Kobe Covington. I, I mean, I'm, I'm a fan of Damian Maya. I'm a fan of older guys. I'm a fan of Damian Maya's game. I'm a fan of Damian Maya's a fighter. My girlfriend's favorite fighter. So she hates me. I think this is like the third fight in a row. I'm picking against Maya. Um, but there are just way too many checkbox here. Now, the reason why uh, I was worried about going with a bias and picking Covington, because as you know, I recently did the military trip with Colby and uh, got to hang out with him there and stuff. And 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 uh, and yeah, man, uh, hit it off with it. I hit it off with the dude. That he, was, he, was, he was a real cool cat, man. Uh, you know, as far as just talking shop and wrestling to talking uh, just, just other shit. Like, you know, he's a cool cat, man. I, you know, I know he's got this, his stigma in his shtick, and, and, and I understand if you don't like that. Like, I, I get it, believe me. Like, Dan Tom, by all rights, shouldn't like that. I'm the martial artist, honor guy. Like, I shouldn't like the, that brass behavior. But when people are purposely doing it, or they're doing it to a certain point where it's like, oh, when they're either doing it for their shtick, like a Covington or something, or they're doing it like a, because they're just weird, like a Mike Perrier and Nick Diaz. Like, I can't help it. It becomes endearing to me at that point, you know? But, oh, no, on the real, um, that, I guess, was the stated bias here for the Covington one. And people that listen to the podcast will know. And I'm always thinking of y'all, uh, even when I'm making my picks here. And I'm like, oh, they're gonna be like, oh of course Dan's going to do it. And that's kind of dangerous. You know, parlay is probably the more valued piece of all the betting advice I could give. So I'm a, so that's the one I guess I'm more, most... Um, not nervous is the right word because I, I shouldn't. I, I don't take it that serious. I, mean, I take it very seriously, more seriously than I should. But you shouldn't take it that seriously is what I'm trying to say. But what's the word I'm looking for? Um, it holds the most value, I guess, because not only am I recommending a, a bet which can get risky and dicey, and uh, even though I feel like I, I I do really well and I'm very clear in my disclaimers, uh, which I won't get into for the sake of brevity here, but. Um, when you're recommending a parlay, a parlay suggests that you are attaching this. So it's not only put your money on this, but go ahead and attach your other hopes and dreams to this too. Everybody pile on. You know, it's not like the it's not like Rose's raft of the Titanic. There's there's room there's more room than one for one, right? Um, so it becomes extra dicey. So I, that's why I'm a little more weary on like you know, I'll be like, oh asshole, you're gonna let your bias bleed into like the most important piece of advice you can give, Dick. Like, not that anybody's doing that, but but uh. I guess that's my, you know, the the quote unquote counter counterpoints in my head uh, that go off. But when I look at it, man, it, not only does this the anal analysis point to it. I mean, I, you all know I've been high on Covington for a minute um, before that trip, before uh, knowing knowing the dude just on his game, because wrestling is one of those things where whether it, it's looked at the wrong way on both sides, meaning that obviously the wrestle fuck fuck wrestling and the ignorant point of view. And I get it. It's not exciting. I'm not saying that. You have every right to say that it's not exciting. I'm not, I'm not saying that, but I'm talking about more of the people that criticize just kind of be negative because they don't understand it. Um, but even the people that support it um, kind of not do it in injustice. Perhaps that's a strong word, but they're not doing it any favors either by going, oh, well, he's going to wrestle. and Because you, you, for one, you can get yourself in trouble by overestimating, just saying, oh, because a guy wrestled in college means he's gonna, means it's going to fucking translate, means he's going to win the fight, means I should put my money on him. No, 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 no to all those. You know, that doesn't always add add up to that. Um, so on, on both sides, I find the opinions hard to side with. And what, it, at least in my opinion, comes down to maybe, again, 
I'm a little more centric to the, the, this perspective because this is my life, it's my job. But in my opinion with that, the opinions on wrestling and MMA, which are still very, you know, in my opinion, still very uneducated, is that it's just that it's uneducated. People don't don't understand either they they haven't done it or when they do it, or, you know, or they they haven't done it, they haven't done it enough, and or just don't understand it and the intricacies of it. So it it, it becomes this really broad paintbrush that we paint with. We're either painting a positive or a negative sign with it. And, and, uh, at least with this podcast, my goal is to kind of hopefully provide light in the gray areas of the broad paintbrushes. Nothing wrong with using them. Not saying anybody's better or worse, or you're stupid or this person's dumb or this is, I'm just talking about the general perspectives in there and trying to fill in the middle. And in the middle, there's some valuable answers in the middle. And the valuable answers are those technical intricacies in Covington's game, you know, from his hand fighting and just he's always collapsing levers, picking ankles, using his long arms to do that, wrist feeds. God damn, I love wrist feeds. Like, I don't see it enough. Even a guy like, you know, I was looking at a lot of Pedro Munoz's um, back takes and stuff, and he's a great back taker, but a lot of opportunities for wrist feeds there where it's like you have a body lock on a guy, on a guy for control and you're keeping that tight, and a lot of guys don't want to lose their body lock like if you're behind a guy you know whether you're against the fence or out in the open you, you want to take the back you want to jump on his back you've got the body lock you're behind him you were afraid to loosen up on that body lock grip to go grab a wrist or to adjust your grip because you're afraid you're going to lose them but oftentimes they're going to bring their hands to you in other words say you're grabbing something like a kimura you're grabbing their wrist or the body lock the example that i, I painted in your heads hopefully uh, they're going to try to fight hands push those hands, break that grip and turn into you, right? Well, wrist feeds, the, the, the reason behind the name is because you're feeding the wrist. So instead of chasing something, you make it come to you. I give you a problem to solve, the body lock, you have to solve it by hand fighting. So now instead of chasing your hands, I know where your hands are going to be. Your hands are going to be grabbing mine. It's a little opposite. In theory, you want to be grabbing theirs, right? True. Hold. You made them grab yours. It can be just as good because now that they are grabbing your your wrist, you can feed their grip into your grip of your other hand, grabbing their wrist, and now you've just reversed the grip. This is really fucking... I don't know why I tried to explain this in radio. It's probably really tough. But that's kind of the point of a wrist feed. And now you actually... You know, you can have, you know, one hand on your forearm, so you're still, in fact, not only are you still keeping your body lock tight to their waist, you're actually tighter now because you're choked up on your grip. Instead of a palm-to-palm grip, you're now, you know, sliding your hand up your forearm because your other hand in question has their wrist, which means you have a tighter body lock, but you also have their wrist, which means you can pull it across their body. Remember, anytime you can pull, you can pull someone's arm across their body, they're weak, right, from a grappling point, from a striking point. But when you're behind them, if you pull, if you, if you wrist feed and pull their arm across their body, they don't have anything to block a hook on that side. Now you have a hook. So again, you'll see Colby Covington just wrist feeding all day when he body locks guys and he's driving them to the fence. They'll go to hand fight and then he, he'll grab their hand, feed it into his own hand. Now he has their wrist and then he's using that lane. He's creating lanes for his hook to come in, puts in a single hook, starts punching, riding, and just making your life miserable. Um, again, little intricacies. I don't expect you guys to give a shit about them, but I do. And they are probably responsible for guys like Covington's have uh, guys like Covington uh, winning fights and having really good records. So um, I guess it means something. 
That being said, I'm not discounting Damian Myers. Of course, Damian Myers is fucking great. Of course, he can submit Covington. He could submit anybody, even though he's getting old. And I'm going to get into that in one second. And of course, yes, him being old does play a small percentage of the pie of my pick. But yes, I, I concede he can be two years older than he is now. And he can still be dangerous in that first round. But Maya, he tends to fade in victory and defeat. Not only does he tend to fade, his takedown percentage also goes down. And yes, he has the half guard trick. He doesn't need a takedown. He has the half guard pull that I love that I I, I use in my game. It's my main go-to um, because it's great for old, for, for <laughs> older, unathletic dudes who want to compete, control, and reverse these young studs and calm them the fuck down. It's a great way to just reverse your position and get on top. And feeds right into the knee slicing mount, baby. It, it, it's great. It really is. But Covington knows that. He knows that because he helped Jorge Masvidal at the beginning of this year prepare for him. So he had to play Maya as a natural southpaw and as a grappler. So he he already had to experience both sides of this equation. And then not only does he have to get to do a second camp preparing for Maya, but in between that, he gets to prepare for one of the, another one of the more uh, heralded uh, southpaw grapplers, dangerous grapplers, quote unquote, uh, at least position wise. Maybe not finish-wise, which Maya, by the way, lest we not forget, has way more decision victories than guys that, you know, you look on paper. How did he not finish them? Like, it wasn't until Maya had this resurgence where he started finishing guys again. He finished them early when he came in. He finished them late. Either way, what I'm talking about is back to Covington and his two camps preparing for Maya. In between those two camps, he got ready for Kim, who's who I was alluding to. Dong Young Kim, southpaw grappler there. So Covington, for the better part of 2017, has been getting ready for Damian Maya. But for all of 2017, has been getting ready for southpaw grapplers. So I guess what I'm trying to sum up here is that even though there's the bias that I stated and there is the contentious arguments of the intricacies of Colby Covington's wrestling, will it be enough to stifle, smash, uh, separate, or whatever he wants to do? Because I think Covington's going to do both. I think he's going to strike early. I think as Maya gets tired, Covington's going to... Uh, wrestle smash into him more uh, selective of course not be stupid with it but i think we're i, I don't i think uh covington will actually grapple with him uh, in the later parts of this fight but i guess what i'm saying is um shit what was i saying yeah aside from the bias uh, of covington when we look at fights we want to bet when we're talking about rounding it back to just just, just to, to looking at parlay pieces and what and the importance of them right because you're not just saying i'm going to put my money here i'm going to hey put my hopes of this guy and that guy and that prop and that prop here and then I'm going to put it all together and that's a parlay piece so a parlay piece has a lot of value and if you're going to do that do you feel safer on, on betting on a guy who's throwing strikes or a guy who's going to quote-unquote wrestle fuck somebody or just you know to grappling not to be such use as crude terms I'm sorry um the grappler right because how many Hail Mary submissions are there how many Hail Mary punches are there it's a real it's a real clear divide in those numbers, right? You guys, we don't, none of us, I don't have those numbers in front of me. I don't expect you to. We don't have to. That's a pretty clear answer. I think we can all be pretty confident to say that more unexpected shit happens on, with gunfights on the feet, throwing fists and shins and knees and elbows than grappling. So by that nature alone, a grappler is more of a safer bet. Obviously, it's not an end-all, be-all. There's much more to that. We're going to get to that in a second here. But a grappler is much more of a safer bet on paper. Now, kind of zooming in a little further within a grappling, a wrestler. 
It's going to be even safer bet of the grapplers to bet on. Okay, zooming in a little for uh, technically superior winning streak, youth, uh, technical intricacy, small, big, uh, training camp that's you know no, uh, known for you know getting fighters prepared, whether it's physically, strength and conditioning, uh, the game plans, coaches, etc., nutrition. Uh, he has that. Oh, okay, check. Um, you know, that alone is very confident in a matchup that I feel favors him because there's more pathways to win, and he has the one thing that uh, can stifle, but not just the one thing that can stifle from a Bob paint bat, paintbrush. He's a wrestler. He can stop takedowns. It's not that simple with Maya. But he's had specific training. Forget how many fighters have had two training camps for Maya in the same year. How many fighters that you've bet on this year, everybody listening, have had multiple training camps for their opponent i'll wait none in fact most of the people a lot of people you bet on maybe might not even have had a full camp with their opponent this day and age of the ufc because having full camps kind of a thing in the past unless you're a high status person who they're trying to book out ahead of time you are getting you know thrown to the wolves you're taking what the fuck you can get and we've all bet on those people too in those situations as well because it comes down to the matchup it's not just based on that fact right well still that's a, a check mark you can check for colby covington He's had two camps for the guy. I mean, and now, now another another angle, uh, a young stud, you know, a young stud on a winning streak with momentum on an uptrend, um, you know, versus a fighter who has had some rough outs even in victories as of late. Thirty nine years of age, a lot of miles from grappling, and now fighting. I mean, let's look at his, you know, Damian Maya's UFC record alone is 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 is, is, is ridiculously long. Um, you know, there. You know, Dame is great again. Yeah, I stand by what I said. You know, even as old, and I'm talking about the fading. You know, and the age intangible now. It could be two years from now, and I'd still give him a chance. You know, in the first round to submit anybody in the top ten. But that being said, there's no biological free lunches in life, much less MMA. This is the unforgiving motherfucker of all unforgiving motherfuckers. This sport. And I'm a fan of Maya. It's gonna be another weird, awkward uh, time watching with my girlfriend. Or she's gonna just be be be. Uh, you know, kind of, kind of, kind of you know, side eyeing me with one eye for picking against your favorite fighter. But man, the, all these check boxes line up, and then on top of it, you're gonna give a bettable line like a minus one thirty-five to a minus one seventy-five range. On top of it, boy, I mean, there's probably better. There's, there, there, not say better, but there's, di- there's definitely different angles you can take. Not just with Maya, but as far as not taking a side, whether like you wanted to play an, an over. Or, or certain things, maybe I'm not sure. A points handicap. There are different, like different kind of angles you can take here. But I just took Covington by decision for that. I know he wants to make a statement, but um, he already shows good risk management. It's the camp, and not even just the camp. I mean, this is Jorge Masvidal, his homeboy. They share the same coaches. I mean, this is his familiar face. This isn't just the broad brush of ATT. Um, which is a good good camp in its own, as I just explained, for multi multi facets and many reasons. But you have to imagine they're going to learn from those mistakes and not be so liberal in certain spaces that Masvidal was, because Masvidal was far too liberal for stuff that he he damn knew he damn knew better on. Um, you got to know, you got to expect that that Covington, who's more capable in those set spots in the first place, but also much more less risk averse by nature. You got to imagine he navigates those spots. That's what I'm betting on. If Damian Maya wins, I get it. I get it. I would get it. Yeah, yeah, I get it. I, I, fuck, I'll be happy for the dude. Um, but all bias aside, man, there are way too many check marks here. Um, 
that's why you know um, a minus one thirty to minus one seventy line that feels like a weird number for. I think that might be one of the first times you saw that number pop up for a parlay piece for your old Dan Tom. But uh, but that's why, man. I mean, I, I I think I just laid out about at least four strong sections. Strong sections, as in one of those sections alone, that me, you, all of us at one time or another, even this month probably, have made a bet on based on the strength of one of those sections alone. Even if the other stuff doesn't line up, uh, this one section was strong enough in our opinion. And we may have been right, we may have been wrong, neither here nor there, but I'm just saying. When, when you got a guy with like four strong sections like that, when you're like, fuck, man. All right, I'm taking a shot. I'm taking a shot. Because because if I am right, I don't think we're going to get 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 good lines on Covington like that. Uh, you know, minus, barring a few matchups, obviously, because there's some really bad matchups in the division for him. Um, but I don't think this is one of them. I don't. All right, main event, I spent... Too much time talking about that and many other things, but Leota Machida, Derek Brunson, uh, Derek Brunson minus one fifty five favorite comeback. Leota Machida plus one thirty five. Um, Brunson is on the. Uh, there's no plays on this. I stayed away from it. Brunson though is the uh, last uh, member of the DraftKings roster, which I'll, I didn't recap last um, podcast. At the end of it, I should say uh, the plays. I'll, I'll do a good job. I, I know it's kind of hard to follow along. As you go, unless you're hardcore and you're crazy and you want to listen to me talk this long. But, yeah, uh, I'll recap it here at the end. But, yeah, um, yeah man, it's, it's tough. Uh, well, another Southpaw versus Southpaw matchup. By the way, it, three 39-year-old Brazilians all on the main card, all in Southpaw versus Southpaw matchups. Kind of weird. And I have uh, the records on the Southpaw versus Southpaw matchups. You go to the breakdown at you'll see the record of uh, this guy is this and this against this, you know, against Southpaw. It's like Jim Miller's like one and six, like just kind of a crazy stat. Um, which, which you know, I would be lying if it, that didn't play a small part in why I picked against them. But yeah, anyways, neither here nor there. We're talking about the Cheetah versus Brunson. And um, uh, I'll pull up their Southpaw records here while we're talking about it. But yeah, this is tough, man. This is one where. Dude, you want to talk about favorite fighters of all time? Uh, Jim Miller is on this card, but so is Leo to fucking Machida. And, and as you heard on my top top five title changeovers I did with um, Matthew Wells, shout out to Matt Wells. That was, that was a fun episode there. Um, and Machida versus Evans was one of my favorite moments. I mean, as as a black belt in karate, you came into uh, martial arts later in life. I mean, watching Machida's rise is one of the more memorable, meaningful spots of my historical uh, memories of the sport. So. I'll always be rooting for him for that. But again, as an analyst, I, I gotta be honest. I gotta pick what I pick, pick, I gotta do my due diligence and do my job. And uh, there are just way too many paths to pick, pick against Brunson. If this were a couple years ago, Brunson is tailor made, man. If he, if he strikes with his chin out, the counter left's gonna be there. But Machida hasn't been a strong counter fighter for, for, for some time now, you know. That could be argued. I mean, there was a you know he he's doing this uh, a full Rafael Cordero more than Blackhouse as before, where he kind of mixed both. But even before, when he just dabbled with Rafael Cordero, we'd see him throw more you know leg kicks from the southpaw side. We would never see him throw those kind of tie style kicks, right? It's all karate kicks. So maybe it was due to that. But let's face it: when you when you get older, timing is the first thing to go. I mean, uh, before I officially picked Bisping to beat Anderson Silva, I was asked about it. I think, like, when the fight first got announced on MMA Junkie Radio before I was even on the show officially. I was just, just a guest that day. And I actually gave a lean and explained how Bisping could win because it sounded crazy to a lot of people, but it didn't to me. 
because I was like, as great as Anderson is, the, the, the timing is the first thing to go, and he was a timing-based guy, you know. He was a counterfighter, and counterfighters are timing-based guys. You are, you, are, you, are, you are basing your game off being able to time somebody. That's the first thing to go. Um, so Anderson Silva's kind of an apropos example of that. We saw kind of, you know, how, how that worked out. Um, even Machida before this 28-month break, which is nothing to scoff at, at 39 years of age. Um, he was already trending, you know, as far as his timing, is not, not as quick, all you know, little tells here and there, which is a bummer to say, but it is true. So, I mean, this trend was already kind of heading in that direction. You know, there's just way too many flags here that aren't heading in Machida's way. And, I, and I'm trying to search for examples off the top of my head. But there's a lot of cases where, where I'm looking for fighters coming back from layoffs, and as good as they are, you know, I, I still got to do my due diligence. So, who knows? I may still end up picking GSP, but that's one of the flags of why my early lean is Michael Bisping. It's because GSP is a very timing based game, and he's got a layoff, and he's older. And there is knee surgeries in his career, after his career, during his retirement. I mean, those are the biggest flags to me. Because those flags affect the best fighters. The ones we're talking about right now. Former champions, legends, if you will. Pound for pound greats. And uh, that trend, I don't think, bodes well for Machida, at least on paper. Uh, would I love to be wrong? I would fucking love to be wrong on this pick, believe me. Uh, so if I come off speaking in an absolute tone, that's definitely not my intention, for sure. But uh, but yeah, it's just tough. Um, by the way, Derek Brunson three and two against UFC Southpaws and uh, Leota Machida zero and two. In fact, you have to go all the way back to Rich Franklin to the last time he fought a Southpaw, and uh, of course he won. He folded Franklin. This was way back in the day. Go back and watch that fight. Like he folds Franklin like a chair. I don't know if it was in Pride, but it was definitely in Japan. Um, it might have even been at like heavyweight or something, or yeah, or something, because like a two twenty pound or two hundred twenty pound, like an open weight fight or some shit like that. But yeah, man, those days are long gone, man. I, um, I don't know. I don't know if we're gonna ever see a vintage Machida performance again, which sucks. Which sucks. 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 It fucking breaks my heart to even say that. And I don't know if I'm sold on Brunson. You know this. You know, his Anderson Silva fight, the 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 the, the Robert Whitaker loss, not condemnable. The Anderson Silva fight ugh, could be very telling. If he gets stymied or stifled here by Machida, then it's definitely telling where Brunson's ceiling. He will be that guy that blows through mid and below, but um, can't seem to get past that hump. Slash inevitably ends up serving to help fighters get bumped back to the top. He'll be that kind of range of guy, but. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know where Brunson is, but uh, I, I do see him having a much, much greater chance to win this fight. I didn't play it. I don't blame you if you do. I just, I can't let money touch this fight. I think, I think the fan of me, I think even as degenerate as I am, I think even I have lines that I'm not willing to cross. And that's one of them. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I, I, I see. Uh, and I'll, also I see Brunson's recklessness kind of paying off because... Machida's going to need to get comfortable in there again. And uh, if Brunson comes out like he does more often than not, at least at least early, could bode well for him producing a finish. That's why he makes the DraftKings team. Also, it's always good to have a side in the main event. All right, recapping. So, fights to avoid. Lineker Vera, Golem Colombo, Luke Price, Figueredo Brooks. 
Straight plays, Hermanson, minus 135 for one unit, and Jared Gordon, minus 155 for one unit. By the way, those lines have changed, and they're for the most part, all these, minus the Jared Gordon line, are all better than what I'm about to recap. Carrying on in the recap, uh, props, Covington by decision, minus 110, which is now for plus money, but I got it minus 110. Yay me. Uh, half a unit. Uh, fought inside the distance, plus 158, now plus 200 range. Uh, I got it for half a unit. Um, I also played the Carlos Jr. Marsh over 1.5, minus 170, now minus 130. I played for one unit. Uh, I sprinkled a fun flyer, Gordon, round three, plus 1,200, quarter unit. Uh, also played Hermanson, um, minus 120, plus 127, he's now higher. If you like that for inside the distance, uh, I also did that for a half unit, but that's not listed um, as well. Uh, parlay pieces. I I did parlay Gerald G- Gordon, but either way, if you do two of any of these combo, uh, you'll get plus money. But the, the, the two official, Elijah Dusky Dos Santos, minus 210, and Colby Covington, minus 175. Uh, Dos Santos now 220, Covington now minus 130, so you'll get even better. But just parring, parlaying them two alone is plus money, so you can kind of layer it with that kind of triangle and menage a trois. Uh, I parlayed all three, which gave me uh It's going to take a while, you see? Okay, it's going to be looking an asshole. All right, uh, you see? Oh, um, yeah, it's not coming up right now, but yeah, it, for some uh, for some plus dough for sure there. That, that that's what I played, and then yes, the DraftKings roster took it to the fifty thousand max um, from the top down. Uh, Elijah Dusky Dos Santos uh, nine thousand uh, dollars. Marcelo Gome, the heavyweight, eighty eight hundred dollars. Rob Font, $8,700. Derek Brunson, $8,400. Jack Romanson, $8,300. And the dog, Cheeto Vera, $6,800. Those are the picks, the plays, the DraftKings recommendation. That's my analysis. Thanks for sitting through. Definitely ran longer than I thought. Um, I will skip as normal uh, iTunes reviews, email. By the way, test me on that email. Actually, I, I forgot to look it up. Um, I did check it actually the week after. No one, no one hit me up, but maybe someone might hit me up this week. I don't want to speak too soon. But protect your neck podcast at gmail.com. Any questions? Even just test my ass. But hey, Dan, I don't believe you're gonna fucking read it. Um, or anything you want to ask, add whatever. You can reach me there. Reach me at Twitter at Dan Tom MMA podcast at the PYN podcast. Great thing about that address, it's the same for Twitter. Instagram and Facebook. That's right, at the PYM Podcast, hosted by MixMarshallAnalyst.com, where you can find all the episodes archived on smartphone-friendly players. But the main place, until I finally get my ass to get a Stitcher, is iTunes, where, please, 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 five-star ratings and reviews help so much. I really do appreciate it. I will read the new ones that have come in. I will be giving you guys your proper due and your proper shout. But if you want to join in on that, please feel free. Uh, I, I will, I, I will uh, read those off. Same with any Amazon or Onnit products. You can find those click-throughs. MixedMarshallAnalyst.com. Maybe you can find my work. My breakdowns, my written work, and analysis at MMAJunkie.com. You can find me. Sirius XM Rush 93 at Amanda Bay, MMA Junkie Radio Studios, five days a week. That podcast also available on iTunes. Also 
welcome and for some five star reviews to help would not hurt uh, that's it for the shouts hope you guys are well maybe we'll do a recap I'll see what's up it's a crazy you guys are going to be getting a lot of me coming up again it's going to be a fucking bananas 11 weeks but the good news is we're in it together so hold hands put fingers in belt loops don't get do anything creepy though but always protect your neck.